Thanks for checking out the New Life Speakers podcast. All of our speakers are recorded live at our AA meeting held on Friday nights at 8 p.m. at the Atonement Church in Wyomissing, Pennsylvania. Our group is self-supporting through the seven traditions, so if you enjoy this podcast, please consider donating. You can do this with either Venmo or PayPal at New Life Speakers. Links to these can be found on our website, newlifespeakers.org, or you can use the link in the description. We greatly appreciate your generosity. More information about recovery and our upcoming events can also be found on our website. Again, that's newlifespeakers.org. And if you know some people in need, please share this with them. And of course, don't forget to subscribe. Okay, hi. Uh, my name's Carrie and I'm an alcoholic. Hi. Um, my sobriety date is October 7th, 2003. Um, don't strain to do the math too hard. I don't want you to have any idea how old I am. Um, you're supposed to laugh. Um, so I was thinking, um, while I was on the way here, um, I'm probably pretty sure, um, no one in this room has heard my story because I'm pretty sure the last time I told my story in a meeting, um, was in the 2000s, not the 10s, the actual OOs. Um, so yeah, not just you, Aaron, pretty sure no one's heard it. Um, So, uh, fun fact, I hate talking about myself, so, um, yeah, um, when I got asked to speak last night, my immediate reaction was, oh God, oh God, oh God, act like you didn't see this, um, but then I remembered that I'm supposed to say yes, um, so, yeah, here I am, um, so, my story, um, it's probably not all that unlike anyone else in this room, um, it's nothing, all that wonderful or miraculous or all that wow, Chris. Um, But really, um, you know, um, when I was a kid, you know, I remember small things. Um, You know, I remember getting told like I was teethed on tequila. Um, I was the little kid running around at, um, family weddings who would steal the beer cans and like take the little the little sips at the bottom of the of the ones that people left sitting around. Um, I would get given um, Osti at um, you know like New Year's and family events and stuff in this little special glass um, that was like a kid size wine glass and I thought it was like the coolest fanciest thing right and I'd be like look at me in my cute little you know special glass um, and I kind of was this pint sized blonde little thing like romanticizing this tiny little glass that I'd get at like New Year's and just be like look I'm so adorable right um, so I guess like this fascination and this like romanticizing of things started really young. Um, I also grew up in a house where my dad was a raging alcoholic. Um, I didn't know it obviously at the time, um, but it's fact, um, you know, and um, my mom um, also didn't know it at the time, um, but she was, struggling with her own addiction to opioids. Um, You know, she had a back surgery and was dealing with, you know, popping too many pills. Um, So I was parentified as a child and I was taking care of myself. Um, So there was this weird dynamic in my household. 
sorry, I have to mess with her, love her, um, where, you know, I, I kind of always had to look out for myself because I didn't know what, what was coming next, right? Um, I didn't know what parents were gonna be there that day, what version of them were going to be there, whether I needed to be taking care of them or whether I needed to be hiding from them, um, whether they were gonna be supportive and loving or whether they were gonna be coming down on me and giving me a litany of all the things that I had done wrong that day. Um, I just never really knew. So um, I remember just really always feeling like I needed to always be on guard, always be aware of what was happening all the time, needing to be able to read everyone around me all the time and always having to be perfect. And if I wasn't, who knew what was gonna happen? Um, you know, luckily I, I was not ever like physically abused. That's not part of my story, um, you know, but it just, it was just this constant thing in my head. Um, so I kind of had all these internal struggles and all of these things going on. And, you know, I actually got started really late with um, when I picked up. Um, it was all just this kind of psychological, emotional, kind of whatever stuff happening in my household and dealing with kind of this child of alcoholic and addict parents stuff um, until I was 16. Um, and I woke up to hearing um, <clears throat> my mom screaming at my dad. Um, and I'm just like, what is happening? It's like 5.30 in the morning. And she's screaming at him and, and I'm like thinking to myself, okay, he must have gotten another DUI, like whatever, just shut up. Like I have a Christmas dance tonight, right? Like, <laughs> who do you think you are? Like, shut up, I need to sleep, right? Um, 16, again, totally self-centered. Um, until I heard her say like, you know, my God, I just can't believe you killed someone this time. And I was like, oh, okay, hang on a second. Hmm, that kind of changes things. What? Um, and then I remember her coming into my room and me being like, what happened? And her saying to me, like, you know, uh, I just, I just can't believe you killed someone this time. And I'm like, okay, but details, please. <laughs> You know, and um, he did. He, he drove drunk. He was a musician and he drove drunk on the way home and he ran into the back of a trash truck and he killed someone. Um, and that was sort of when everything kind of shifted for me. Um, I got in touch with an ex-boyfriend at that point and um, he was like, wow, that sucks do you want to like hang out? <laughs> sure. <laughs> sure. Um, because the current boyfriend who I still went to the dance that night because you weren't going to fuck up my Christmas dance, by the way, um, pretended like nothing happened because it hadn't hit the news yet. And I knew after it hit the news, my world was going to shatter. So in my head, like, let's have one more good night before everything kind of falls apart. Um, so the current boyfriend was not being, you know, whatever. And I thought that the old boyfriend should know. 
So I told the old boyfriend, hang out with him. This is why it's important. Um, because since I had broken up with him, um, he had started doing drugs. And so he's like, wow, you know, this really sucks. Like, you want to get high? It'll probably make it better. And I'm like, sure, seems like a great idea. So um, we started smoking and, you know, that was like fine, whatever. Um, my parents had smoked my whole childhood and so I was just like, all right, fine. And I was like, okay, you know, I feel calmer. Things are all right, whatever. think like... It was a Saturday morning that that all happened. I got to school on Monday um, and my new, um, my locker was plastered with the newspaper article with like murderer, rotten hell, whatever, whatever, whatever written all over it. And that continued every day for, I think it was right before Christmas. So until Christmas break happened, um, the school, knew about it, didn't care, never tried to figure out who it was, whatever, you know. Mm. So um, all of my friends just dropped me, you know. No one wants to be associated with the girl whose dad killed someone because he's drunk. Um, so I was totally alone. So me and this ex-boyfriend, we are just hanging out. He's the only person who will have anything to do with me. Um, so we're smoking and between Christmas and New Year's, um, he showed up to my house and he was like, hey, I got something new. It'll totally make things so much better. Just, you know, I gotta go to the bathroom, but when I come back, like, we'll do it. I'm like, cool. So he threw two bags down on my desk and me being dumb suburban white girl, I'm like, oh, it's Coke. So I snort a bag and here it was heroin. So A, how I lived, not entirely sure. Um, but B, there went the next year and a half of my life. Um, so that's really, the, that pretty much just sums it up. Um, once you jump off that cliff, Everything else is just kind of icing on the cake. Um, went from snorting to IV use, went back from that to pretty much everything else you can possibly name, was drinking, was doing whatever else under the sun. It didn't matter because at that point I was already gone. Um, parents didn't know. Maybe they did. I don't know. Maybe they didn't care. They were so wrapped up in everything else. Um, but that was that in the moment it did everything that I needed it to. It was the perfect solution in that moment. And it very quickly wasn't, but in that moment, everything he promised me, this is going to fix everything. It's going to solve everything. You're going to feel great. Damn right. I did. Absolutely. I didn't feel the pain anymore. I didn't, I wasn't the girl whose dad murdered somebody, right? Because in my head, that's what it was. None of that stuff, none of that pain existed. Everything was solved in that moment. 
I chased that for the rest of the time that I was using that feeling. That's what I did. I never got it again. Might have come close a couple times, probably the times that I was almost dead. Um, but that's what I was chasing was that feeling of everything being okay, of being content, of feeling like everything was fixed because everything was so broken. Um, the details in there don't matter. Take your own stories, put your own details in there. It's all the same stuff, right? I don't need to go into all that. It feels useless and futile. Um, it was hellish. Um, just honestly, I, I think I was trying to die through a good portion of that. Um, and I didn't succeed. I was really upset that I didn't succeed a lot of the time. Um, now I'm really grateful that I didn't. <laughs> um, but in those moments, I was real pissed a couple times when I woke up. Um, but um, August of 2003, um, I wound up getting arrested for retail theft because at that point I was stealing in order to keep using because I ran out of money. Um, I had the opportunity to get honest with the police officer who arrested me um, because he flat out said to me, he said, you're stealing to pawn these to go and get drugs, aren't you? And I said, no, me, not me. All 95 pounds of strung out me at that point, right? Absolutely not. I'm not a drug addict. And he's like, if you are honest with me, I can help you. Hell no, not gonna be honest. So, charges, here they come. Um, avoided treatment. Uh, October 7th, 2003. Went to cop and got pulled over right after I copped. Was with the same ex-boyfriend and um, got pulled over and wound up getting arrested for possession and paraphernalia and conspiracy because there were two of us in the car. That one always makes me laugh. Um, and the, uh, the funny part about that is, is that the guy that I was with tried to pin all of it on me. And I remember being so hurt that this guy who was my boyfriend for how long, and we were such good friends for how long after that, how dare he would try and pin it on me. Naive ass little girl, I was so mad. And then I very quickly tried to pin it all on him. Mm -hmm. Yep, yep. Um, so how quickly, we do the things we think we would never do when we're in 
situations like that. Um, whether he did try and pin it on me, I don't know. Whether that was the cops just trying to get us to turn on each other, who's to say? I don't know. I have not, I've spoken to him one time since I've gone clean. Um, but yeah, we wound up um, both being arrested. And that was the day that um, everything changed for me. Um, I wound up getting arrested and spending three days in Berks County Prison, um, getting bailed out and going to treatment. Um, at that point, um, when I got bailed out by my parents, um, my first plans were, how was I gonna steal the car? How was I going to go and cop? How was I gonna get high before I got drugged to rehab? <laughs> um, against my better judgment. I did not do that. Um, and instead, I went to an AA meeting that night. Um, and I met a whole bunch of really old people in a meeting in Robzonia who were crotchety and cranky and they were very angry and loud and I didn't like them at all. I thought to myself, if this is what AA is, fuck AA. Um, and I remember thinking I never wanted to come back again. Um, then I went to rehab where, against my better judgment, the admissions people, because I was 18, asked me, well, we could put you with the adults because you're 18, or we could put you with the adolescents because you're 18. Where would you like to go? I said, you do with me what you think is best. Cause I'm like, you know what? Maybe I should do this whole, like somebody else make decisions for me. Cause my decisions for myself are really stupid. Well, they put me with the kids. <laughs> so I got to spend 30 days with like 13 to 16 year olds and I just played mom the whole time so that didn't go so well um constantly got yelled at for being mom I'm like don't put me with 13 year olds it's really frustrating um but I did my best and um, got subpoenaed while I was there to testify against uh, the ex-boyfriend, um, which I didn't have to do, uh, luckily. Um, but I found out a lot of things about myself um, while I was there, um, including how I am literally incapable of putting myself first ever, you know go to rehab, be mom, instead of take care of yourself in rehab. Um, you know, I don't know, maybe that says a lot. Um, also, it was the first time where I really had to sort of look at some of the stuff from my childhood um, and, and how that kind of impacted things. And the first time that my parents had to kind of look at some of their stuff as well 
that wasn't as effective, but that's fine. Um, so coming out of rehab, I then went to IOP, which had some of the funniest experiences in my life. Um, I will never forget my first time accidentally taking Sudafed um, and showing up to IOP and my counselor accusing me um, of taking an illicit substance before coming to IOP and me breaking down crying and being like, I took Sudafed, I didn't know I wasn't supposed to take Sudafed. Because <laughs> they thought I smoked crack before I came in. Um, yeah, it was fun. Um, I think probably the biggest thing in early recovery for me um, between rehab and outpatient, um, one of the biggest things that I had to learn about was this reliance on self as far as, um, this is interesting, um, spirituality, right? I completely rejected anything spiritual, anything religious, anything God, anything at all whatsoever in that realm. Um, and I wanted to rely on myself, yet I absolutely could not whatsoever even focus on myself for more than two seconds before I was like, no, thank you, everyone else. Um, so having to try to find some semblance of something outside of myself that I could see as higher than me, right? Um, I remember this conversation with my counselor inpatient where he made me look out the window and he said to me, he said, do you see the mountain? I'm like, yes. Did you make the mountain? I said, no. He said, could you make the mountain? No. He said, okay, then something that's more powerful than you had to make the mountain, right? I'm like, sure. <laughs> sure. I suppose you're correct. I said, okay. So what about, let's go smaller. I'm like, what about the tree? I'm like, hmm, I can plant a tree. <laughs> but can you make the tree, Carrie? I'm like, no, I can't, cannot create a tree. Okay, something else does. Okay, okay. So um, I came to this very uneasy, I don't know what the right word is, kind of just this, this like, okay, like a truce with spirituality. Um, while I was impatient of like, all right, there's something. I don't know what it is. I don't want to know what it is. I'm not going to poke at it. It's there. I don't know what it is, but fine. It exists. We're going to leave it. It's good enough for now. And then when I went outpatient, um, my counselor there really kind of pushed me on that a bit. And, um, we had a lot of focus on that in outpatient and it was a lot of growth as far as pulling away from 
my family system and sort of what had gone on in my childhood because I realized I had to sort of understand that I could leave that stuff aside and grow and accept that something was something was there and something existed and I could move on um and I didn't need to have all of these answers because for me like I'm a very I need to have answers for everything I don't know if that like resonates for anyone in the room right go I don't know why for everything um and so I was trying to dig in really really deep really early on like okay but if there is a God, if there is a higher power, if there is this, whatever, then why did all this stuff happen, right? Why was this allowed? And I needed to divorce those two in order for me to be able to find a higher power that I could move forward in my recovery and, like, table the family of origin shit for later, if that makes sense. Because for me, I was like, no, I got to figure that out now before I can, like, get right with God and move on. <laughs> and I really couldn't do that all so early. Um, but damn, I wanted to. So I have to thank my outpatient counselor for kind of breaking that link for me and being like, no, 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 <laughs> not now. Um... So once I could kind of get over that, then I could really, mind you, I was doing 90 and 90 during, like as soon as I got out of rehab, I was actually doing two meetings a day. I had started going to NA during the day and AA in the evening. Um, so I was doing both to kind of see where I fit best. Um, we see where I landed. Um, so, so um, I was consistently going to meetings. I had a sponsor, but I really wasn't doing step work with a sponsor yet because I was an IOP and I was doing a lot of stuff there. Um, once IOP ended, which I was about four months sober at that point, then I really got into step work with my sponsor. Um, so I kind of took this piecemeal approach. Um, and once I got into the step work with my sponsor, that's when I really got a good look at, I mean, to me, you didn't need to tell me how my life was unmanageable. <laughs> I mean, I was 18 and had already been arrested and in rehab and was doing all kinds of ridiculous shit. So, you know, um, unmanageable check mark got that um you know the powerlessness part um i think i understood cognitively like my brain got it but i don't know as i really wholeheartedly got it yet at that point i think that took longer because i don't know as i really fully bought into it um, that came a little bit later. Um, 
you know, step two, really, I, you know, again, my outpatient therapist really helped me with a lot, um, you know, that I, that I could kind of understand like, okay, there's something. Um, and yeah, okay. Got this. I, you know, I, I can believe that this can work. Um, you know, and then I got to step three was really hard for me. Really, really hard. Um, you know, I was for sure you all absolutely would help all of you. So like, why? Didn't really know as it was going to work for me. Didn't really know that like I was worth it. Why would I be worth it? Why, why would it work for me? Um, that one took a lot of time. Um, you know, I think I had a lot of really old ingrained tapes that made me think that I was not going to be, um, given, given the same things, right? Or that I wasn't worth the same things. Um, and so why would I ask? Why would I bother? Um, so I had to like get out of my own way for step three, if that makes sense. Um, and I had to do a lot of work around that with my sponsor. Um, and then with my first sponsor, I actually, we, we broke up at step four. <laughs> we parted ways um, because she was actually doing her second fourth step. And so she was making me wait to do mine until she finished her second one. And I was like, I want to do it right now because <laughs> for some reason, I really, I think it's like, you know, self-deprecation is my love language or something. I'm like, <laughs> I want to rip myself to shreds. Let's do this. And didn't want to wait. And she was like, no, 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 you got to give me a little while. And I'm like, no, now. Um, <laughs> so we broke up. <laughs> and so then I got another sponsor. <laughs> um, love her. Still talk to her to this day. I laugh about it. Um, yeah, it was a funny time, um, around this time, um, I was also, um, shit, this meeting, we were starting this meeting when this meeting started a million years ago. Um, we were, I was part of this group of young people um, we're like really, really, really close. There are two of us left. Um, my husband's one, I'm the other. Um, there was one of us who has maintained continuous sobriety since then. Hi. Um, it sucks, uh, to think about that. Um, there were like 20 of us. Um, we were going up and down to meetings all over the place, down to Baltimore, down to Parkton, Maryland, to York, all over the place. We'd travel all over the place together, all kinds of shit. Um, it was so much fun. Uh, it was really good times. So my second sponsor came from York, um, PA, and we did the same thing. We did the one, two, three dance. Um, and then she kind of bounced, um, 
I got another sponsor who was from down in like Westchester area. And there was this whole thing about different people from different areas do steps different ways. Okay. This gal who was sponsoring me, we did all 12 steps in one weekend. Yeah. Saw that face. Mm-hmm. Yep. <laughs> so, <laughs> so the theory behind this one is you go through them all and then you immediately start back at the first again and you go super in depth with each of them. Um, so did all 12 in a weekend with her, just had a little sleepover weekend. Um, and then got through one through three and was on four again with her. And I think I got up to doing my amends again, um, before she moved. Uh, so she was my sponsor for a while. Um, and then when she moved, I got someone local. Um, and by that point, I was a couple years in. Um, and life was just kind of moving along. I was dating my now husband. We had his, old, his daughter, my now stepdaughter, living with us. Life was just kind of life. Um, and at that point, I asked her to be my sponsor, but she wound up being a little more like a peer after a certain amount of time. Um, and we sort of just lost touch for a bit. Um, and don't follow in my footsteps. And this is why I have not shared my story in a really long time. Um, I pieced from the program for about a decade. Hmm. Yeah. Don't follow my footsteps. Um, not entirely. I still talked with people, but I stopped coming to meetings. Um, I had, I went back to school. I got pregnant with twins. My husband uh, had a spinal surgery, got addicted to painkillers and muscle relaxers. Um, when I was so afraid that he was going to die off of the pills, I begged him to drink um, to get him off of the pills. Um, so he relapsed on alcohol for about a year. Um, he got clean again, and I prioritized, so what do I do? I prioritized his recovery and him getting back into the program over me still being sober. Um, and yeah, I just kind of stayed in therapy and did the things in my life that like kept my patterns and my routines and my life stable, talked with people individually, but did not have meetings. Um, don't follow my footsteps. Um, so when COVID hit and Zoom meetings became a thing, it was fantastic for me because 
I was raising kids, I was at home, I was with them, he could go to meetings, I stayed with the kids. Zoom hit and I'm like, I can have eyes on the kids, earphones in and be on a meeting, this is perfect. So it was a great answer for me. And so all of a sudden I could have meetings back super easily. It fit into my life, it was great, and I could get involved again. And then I started seeing some people that I kind of knew, right? Other people I did know, and then meeting new people and was like, holy shit. And then the world started to open up again and I was like, oh, <laughs> but I kind of want to go back. Shit, that's what happens when you start to build relationships with people. <laughs> Forgot what that was like. Oh, hell. So, um, yeah. So here I am, um, and I'm just really grateful that through all of the insanity of the 10-ish years, I still have yet to pin down exactly how long it was, but it was about a decade um, that I wasn't really around, um, that I did not step out, um, that I had enough in those years that I was in that I stayed, um, you know, sober throughout it. Um, yeah, so I'm here um, and I'm grateful that AA is here and welcomed me back, even though I was, you know, nothing happened, but welcomed me back when I came back. Um, yeah. Didn't plan on that little tangent. Um, now I lost my train of thought. So yeah, I don't know where I'm going at this point. So I'm just going to say that's it. Thanks for checking out this episode of the New Life Speakers Podcast. Please remember that our group is self-supporting through its seven tradition. Donations can be made by clicking the link on our website, newlifespeakers.org. Tune in next week for a new speaker, and thanks for listening.